You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day, go see the baby be born and come back. You're a major league baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I mean, this are, these are all rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm not. Analytics don't work, work at all. It's, it's just a crap to some people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker and a shot caller. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bow. He shattered the mold and all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, the final episode of Hot Takedown, 538's sports podcast, a bittersweet day for us here in the studio. I'm Chadwick Matlin, an editor at 538. Isn't it just bitter? It's just bitter. It's, it's just... It's well, a, it's bittersweet for Neil because he's moving on to his basketball podcast. True. Yes. So that voice you hear is Kate Fagan, ESPNW columnist and first ballot Hot Takedown Hall of Famer. Hi, Kate. How many people are on the ballot and how many get let in? You're the inaugural... Hall of Fa- uh, hot take down Hall of Famer. Okay. It was first ballot. First ballot. Do you guys put me on the first ballot because the two of you work at five thirty eight and you feel confident that you'll continue to add accolades to your resume and make it on the second ballot? Yeah. So it's like, oh, but put Kate in. She works for a different part of the company. Oh no, I didn't mean it that way. Okay. I mean, I think you've distinguished yourself through service over the last three years of this podcast, and so you deserve first ballot Hall of Fame. See, I feel like Neil is really the first ballot Hall of Famer when it comes to this podcast. <laughs> no, he's, just, not, he's not retired yet. I'm we can't put him That's what I'm saying. There's all these reasons why I'm going in on the first ballot, because he hasn't retired, because you're over. You're the coach of the next it's podcast. Not, it's, not even like, it's not like you can only have one first ballot Hall of Famer. Who else if, did we put in? Exactly. If both of you were on the on the ballot, then both of you would have got in first ballot. I was trying to give you a compliment, and now you're turning around on me. I thought it was one of those things like you're one of the top three podcasters on this podcast. <laughs> That's what three. it felt like. <laughs> wow. Sorry. I was trying Bittersweet. To, yeah. We're Just not, trying feel, to keep that hard edge on the ooh, podcast right. to the bitter end. This mind is sharp, Chad. This mind is sharp. Thank you for that compliment, mm-hmm. Chad. Glad to have you, Kate. <laughs> also with us, it's Neil Statman Payne. Hey, Chad. Hi, Neil. As Kate alluded to earlier. This is the final episode of Hot Takedown, but Neil's new podcast with Kyle Wagner and Chris Herring, our 538 colleagues, will be coming soon to this feed. In fact, this feed will just become the new feed for our NBA podcast. Neil, you want to announce the name? The yeah. Grand, the grand reveal? Sure. So the name of our podcast is The Lab. We're going to be doing a lot of experimenting. We're going to be doing a lot of tape study and, and stat crunching. And just in general, we're going to kind of hunker down in, in a dark room and emerge with some kind of special chemical formula that will help you enjoy the NBA more, we hope. Right. So every Did epi- you just come up with that off the top of your head? Well, I am a host, Kate. You're a host. So, good you know, line, you think? That, is... was, that was a really good pitch to okay, the people. Okay, there yeah. you go. Uh, so, yeah, so every week during the NBA season and a little bit into the off season, Neil, Chris, and Kyle will be talking about the NBA and really focusing on, on topics or teams and how to make them better or the league better each, each episode. The lab is going to be amazing. But that intro, I don't know how they're going to top our intro song. It's true. It's also, our intro song is a little bit of a time capsule. You know, it's like got the Danny Murphy baby saga. Yeah. It has Jamel Hill saying, I, yeah. I forget what the it must have been about Michigan about. State or yeah. something. Yeah. And then, of course, Skip and yeah. Tebow. Yeah. When Skip was still uh, at ESPN. So on today's show, we're going to be reflecting on the podcast that was, what we've learned from the podcast, how it's helped inform the way that we sort of go about looking at the sports world and sort of thinking through whether this whether this worldview of analytics and of empiricism has sort of is ascendant in sports or is maybe getting crowded out by 
the hot takeosphere as as time goes by. I think we'll also have one last significant digit, which is really actually just one last hot take. We came across a hot take in the last couple of weeks that is just an all-timer. And if the show were going on, I think would would make its way oh, into Oh, I'm excited the... for this. But before we get to the broader conversation on today's show, I wanted to get in a quick word from one of Hot Takedown's sponsors. Hot Takedown this week is sponsored by Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible In partnership with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States, Blue Apron sends you pre-portioned ingredients to make great meals at home. Some of those meals that are coming up soon, summer vegetable and egg paninis with Calabrian chili mayonnaise and caprese salad, soy-glazed pork and rice cakes with bok choy and marinated green beans, skillet vegetable chili with cornmeal and cheddar drop biscuits, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad and roasted purple tomatoes. That all costs less than $10 per person per meal, and you get to choose from a variety of new recipes each week. Or you can let the Blue Apron culinary team surprise you. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, and as I said, pre-portioned ingredients, and they can all be prepared in 40 minutes or less. And there's a freshness guarantee that promises every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook, or Blue Apron will make it right. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com takedown. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So do not wait. BlueApron.com slash takedown. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, now let's get back to this week's show and jump right into our conversation. First, I think let's talk a little bit about about politics. Uh, Everyone's way, favorite topic. One way or another, especially on this podcast. You know, throughout the history of the show, I think we've we've tried to engage in the overlap of of sports with culture and society and politics at large when protests are happening. I, I remember fondly our conversation about the U.S. women's national hockey team and their search for, for pay equity. We've talked at length about labor movements within the sports as well as the role women's sports have to play, things like that. And this weekend, the intersection of sports, politics, and culture really uh, came Collided, to a new level. Yeah, and, and that's when President Trump commented on the protests that had been catalyzed by Colin Kaepernick a few years ago against police brutality and the treatment of African-Americans. So let's, let's have a listen to some audio from President Trump. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! So that was only part of the weekend's political sports mashup activity. Uh, there was also the Warriors deliberating on whether to go to the White House because they won the NBA championship. It leaked out that Steph Curry did not want to go. Then Trump disinvited Curry and therefore the Warriors. And then LeBron James called President Trump a bum. Let's have a listen to some audio about that. Is there any regret that you got into a name-calling situation with the president? No. A name caller. What I say? Call Let me hear you say it. Call him a bum. <laughs> it's not a name call. It's a nice. You bum. Me and my friends call each other that all the time. I'm not his friend though. Don't ever don't. I don't want to see that on the note. I, he's not my friend. So you know we're in an unquantifiable 
territory. And we found ourselves in that territory often on this podcast where the big st- sports news of the week is something that you can't quite put numbers to. And, and Kate, you know, you do a fair amount of talking on TV about the major sports issues of the day, not always from a numbers perspective. And I'm curious, you know, what role you see like the quantified approach taking when there's this kind of type of sports story that is not even about what's on the field, really. Well, this particular discussion, it highlighted for me that most of the time when I'm out on outside the lines or around the horn, when it's about a sports topic, I do a lot of research to bring some kind of piece of data or analytics, or I do it on a Wednesday, the day after this pod drops, and I already have a perspective on those topics that are numbers driven. And for most of sports, that's a possibility that your viewpoint can be formulated with like the backbone of numbers for this. And, and you, you, we can go all the way back to two and a half years ago when we started this podcast talking about Ray Rice and so many issues that have peppered the sports landscape. None of those, and especially this one, have I ever felt that if I brought numbers, they were changing minds? And I mean, even though you could bring numbers to some degree, you could bring n- numbers that, like we have about Colin Kaepernick and whether or not his numbers from last year would warrant him being signed to a team if from a strictly numbers pr- perspective. I think you can try to. I just don't think it illuminates your perspective and shapes other people's perspectives in the way it does on just a traditional sports topic. I think most of the time I could say like, actually the Orioles won an average of 90 games over the previous four years or something like that, you know, and I'm talking a couple years ago now, people be like, oh, wow, yeah, that number actually solidifies like a a feeling I had that the Orioles were like consistently good over the last few years. When it comes to these topics, like that's that kind of work to me doesn't undo perspective that is shaped through relationships and i think a lot of discussions when they they are about politics and in this case sports and politics your viewpoint is often shaped by your interactions whether growing up or with the people around you now and i don't know that uh, bringing numbers to it is going to do the kind of work it does in the sports world yeah especially as somebody that sort of makes their living crunching numbers often about performance, you know, on the field, between the lines. It is difficult, you know, when when this is the biggest story of the day, it does feel like you're, you know, not as equipped as usual to address or speak to it. And that's not to say that we have nothing to say about it using the numbers. My colleague, Harry Anton, had a great story the other day about just how, you know, the, the anthem protests are, you know, viewed un popularly by Americans today, but if you kind of roll back the clock and look at the way that civil rights protests were viewed back in the early 60s, they were also very unpopular, and the view of that has changed over time, night and day, to the point that we look back at at the people that were conducting those protests as heroes. Martin Luther King was viewed unpopularly back then and is now, you know, one of the great Americans, you know, if you if you polled people. And so that does provide, I think, some interesting and kind of, you know, 
it reframes the narrative using numbers in a way that that maybe people wouldn't have thought of without that data being brought to to bear. So that's an example of the way you can use numbers in a case like this. But I do agree with you that it is so far outside of the comfort zone or the you know sort of expertise zone of something like sabermetrics, where we're trying to kind of talk about uh, there's a there's an implicit assumption to sabermetric analysis that you know what happens on the field is all that matters and trying to win, you know, games or matches or whatever is all that matters. And then, you know, kind of moving on from there and trying to figure out who did the most to contribute to those wins and, and, you know, kind of dissecting that. That is not at all the story that that played out over the weekend. And so when you take the further you remove from that sort of pure, I guess it is kind of a stick to sports mentality, the numbers kind of have baked into them, the further you remove yourself from that, the more difficult it is and the more creative you have to be in order to find a way to do data journalism on it. So I think that's actually a a way to leap into the sort of retrospective conversation that we wanted to have, which is, Kate, you said if you bring numbers to, to a political type conversation or even one about domestic violence or something broader than just performance on the field, you feel like the numbers aren't going to sway people. Do you feel like numbers sway people when it's about performance on the field? I feel like all the hot takes that we've really engaged with and and sort of tussled with have been from people who dismiss numbers out of hand often, where, you know, just the mere act of the presence of the numbers or of uh, an acronym for a stat that they're unfamiliar with, like, becomes its own political debate or its own partisanship where, oh, you're using BABIP. Like, I, I don't believe in fancy stats like that. So, you know, what I see with my eye test or my gaze is is a, is, a, is a slugger who's clutch and who, you know, was the World Series MVP. And so even though he's hitting 240 now, like that's, you know, how can you knock the guy when you know what he's going to do in October? Well, I think it depends how you present the data or the information. And I have seen in the course of doing around the horn. And of course, you're not sitting there with someone and seeing that they've absorbed some sort of point, but just the general sense I have one in the the reaction of the interest level of that information. It depends on whether it's presented like really cold and clinical, like, well, his BABIP is up 22% over the last, as opposed to saying, I think we can all see that Aaron Judge has had a a better month. I mean, this is a very generic example here, but and now when you look at his OPS, and if you do it in a way where it's it's confirming with mm. someone with numbers, something that they already instinctually can see or feel, then that's where those numbers provide greater value. And I think that unlocks in people's minds this concept of like, okay, well, if they're if that really confirmed for them something they were feeling, maybe they could use numbers to also see something else a little differently or reinforce some other you know viewpoint that they have about an athlete or a team. That's interesting. When I so I'm at her at five thirty eight, and as I had I've had to to do a lot of thinking about what makes for a five thirty eight story and approach as opposed to, you know, an opinion piece somewhere else, for example, where numbers might get cited, and there's a thesis, and that's and there's so there's an argument and and there's evidence quote unquote to back up the argument. And one of the things that I landed at pretty early on was the idea that at five at, at most places someone has an idea and it's a it's a idea. It's an argument that Aaron Judge is is the best player ever, right? And then they go find some numbers that fit that argument. Whereas here what we do is we look at the numbers and then 
figure out the argument from there and sort of an inversion essentially of of the usual process of of journalism and of, of making an argument about whatever it is sports or sports or otherwise and so you know to me like what the what the trick is for our work is that we have to figure out a way to make what was what's apparent in the evidence apparent to people through argumentation and that is a kind of flip that that isn't a guarantee to change people's minds necessarily because it can often be a little sterile or or, or dry but i do think also the way that sports fans engage with sports now is so much more fluent in statistics and in you know kind of advanced metrics do you think that i mean you are in this world neil you think that that's the case even out of the ballpark i think so i mean i don't know about out of the ballpark but i do know in sports media one of the things i used to do when i was writing stories you know early on was every so often there would be these hot takes that you could sort of just like ooh lick your chops over because they were so just unfounded by the numbers that you you could just go to town about why they were wrong and i have noticed over the course of 4 years of of being here that those pieces are becoming fewer and further between in in other words the 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 bar to which you know any journalism i think uh, at least in the mainstream uh, sports world has to kind of meet a certain level of statistical, you know, even if it is just citing numbers, but often it's basing arguments on numbers. That has pervaded sports journalism, I think, so much over the past 10 years, maybe probably even since we started. And this is in no way, shape, or form me or us taking credit for this. I think it's part of this wave of younger writers and and people that just sort of are more versed in this stuff, having more of a voice and more of a platform that the hot take based on, you know, this guy's a bum because he's not clutch and not really basing it in any kind of stats is kind of a dying breed. It's becoming more difficult. And I don't know if that's why we're seeing more hot takes that are grounded in, you know, non things that that are unquantifiable. You can't prove necessarily uh, using stats. And that's almost like the stats have chased the hot takes to these kind of corners of the of the sports, you know, talkosphere where they're they're hiding and, and they they have to kind of, you know, retreat there because if they went to a place where there were numbers, uh, the the way that arguments are made using numbers now would just kind of obliterate those takes. But maybe that's self-serving. I don't know. What do you think, Kate? Well, I think for sure, because we could even look at the evidence we have doing this podcast. The origin of this podcast, Hot Takedown, was that we would play a hot take and then respond to it. I think we can clearly say that as the podcast move along, it was actually more difficult than we anticipated to find the kind of hot takes that were also relevant to the sports world that week that we could then play and then deconstruct. And I think that's in large part because... 15 years ago, if you just watched a couple Cowboy games or a couple Giant games and you wanted to write a column about how, you know, Eli was a bomb, that's the word of the day, bomb, (laughs) you wouldn't put it into a Google search and then have, like, a bunch of articles come up saying, I know you think Eli's a bomb, but check out his – and this would have been a couple years ago, not this year – and check out his (laughs) advanced metrics in these ways, which then I think for a lot of sports writers, speaking for myself, you read – 
you recalibrate what you've seen and you're less likely to just go out there with some hot take if you don't feel like there's actually any sort of support for it. And I think you've seen that proliferated across sports media to the point that, that Neil made where now the argument comes on the athletes when it, about the unquantifiable qualities of their performance. And that's where we've kind of, uh, you know, like the, the whack-a-mole, like that's where they're popping up now. And I don't know unless analytics develop to some degree to be able to give me an algorithm for whether or not someone is clutch or is a good teammate or whether it does impact the locker room. And that seems like some AI stuff to me. <laughs> and not Allen Iverson. <laughs> no, no, definitely artificial intelligence. Because I, I, I do think hot takes have diminished or, or morphed in a way. Yeah, and I wonder if we're going to get to a point where hot takes are going to be done using almost like outdated stats and then, you know, the hot take downing will be done by, you know, more advanced stats like the, uh, you know, player tracking versus just kind of wave one of, of sabermetrics or whatever. I mean, in some ways, you're you're already starting to see that in the fan graphs of the world and in places like that. So that's it's not a victory lap by any means for analytics. It's almost like more of an arms race. So I'm dubious. I appreciate the optimism. Oh, about, about the lack yeah, of hot takes? I, you know, I think that if analytics were really ascendant in sports, Colin Kaepernick would have a job. And that you wouldn't see so much conversation still around baseball managers not managing the bullpen correctly. And, you know, there are a bunch of things in sports that are not, quote-unquote, optimized. It's not as though... Analytics is just like won the day necessarily, and on in in the media, I'm still, you know, WFAN is still WFAN, and it cites some advanced statistics sometimes. When I'm driving around in a car and listening to it, it's still the same type of conversation that it was when I was a kid, except with some well, new acronyms. Can we delineate here between yeah. like outlets that are being paid to be outrageous versus the conversation in the core area of sports media that's trying to be original yet intellectual yet you know relevant so what was what were they using to be in, uh, original and relevant and intellectual before was it just argumentation is, is your guys point and now it's backed up by more numbers well i think it like there it depends whether we're looking at like columnists for local newspapers mm -hmm. right or what part of media are we looking at to see if we think analytics has advanced because they all have different pursuits in being a part of sports media. So I guess it's not like I don't think we can turn on sometimes ESPN, sometimes other channels and not see people saying things loudly or turn on WFAN and hear people saying things that I think are somewhat inflammatory for the point of being inflammatory. But that to me is a separate beast of sports media from the core group of sports media. Well, they're all core. Am I making sense? Yeah, I, yeah, I understand that. The separation you're making, but I think that is again optimistic about the kind of sports that most fans, sport mm. media that most fans are coming into contact with, and that certainly is easier for us. It's an echo chamber issue. Yeah, and listen, we're complicit in this, right? It's, it's hard for us to talk about this because we, we're owned by Five Thirty is owned by ESPN, and our entire purpose is to produce this kind of work. Yeah, but well, one thing is even grudging kind of acknowledgement of 
like sabermetrics on uh, Mike Francesa, for instance, is like so far beyond what <laughs> anyone thought was possible like a decade ago that that, you know, if 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 that corner of the takosphere has even kind of felt the need that they they have to acknowledge stats in order to to kind of grapple with them, then what does that say about how far things have shifted for the rest of the sports media world? And furthermore, you talk about the way in which fans, you know, view sports media. Most of the time, they're actually the the number one way in which they're seeing any kind of sports media is when they watch coverage of a game, when they watch a, a broadcast. And I think we can all agree that broadcasts have become far more inundated with advanced stats. So maybe it's not about, uh, you know, in the past they were using stats. They were just using saves and RBIs and batting average. And now you're seeing OPS, uh, you know, at day regard on the you know bottom third of of a, a, a when a player comes up to bat and you're seeing you know advanced stats get mentioned by you know broadcasters during NFL games uh, I think that that is you know so different than obviously it's not going to be instantly you know flip a switch so that now Troy Aikman is talking about DVOA uh, you know every, every play of a game but I think the fact that these things are being mentioned almost like casually in the way of like yeah this is like something that we use in addition to all these things that you already know and have been using it's just like here it is deal with it this is what people are are using that's pretty powerful i think but i will say that i think for the casual sports fan those numbers still don't mean anything it's it's good because i that they're being used on a broadcast because maybe over the course of time they'll start to mean the same thing that wins and losses mean to them and saves mean to them and batting average mean to them. I mean, them. I bought a random pack of baseball cards a couple weeks ago, and I opened it up, and they had war listed on the back of a baseball card. That was mind-blowing to me. Anyway, go on, Kate. No, and I do think that that's – if you're if you're on the side of progress is more statistics, I think that's a crucial step because then that's how the kids are going to absorb – the language of, in this case, baseball. But I still think if you walk down the street and you said, what's OPS? And you even said, like, it's a baseball stat, but what is OPS? I don't know how many people could define it, but I think it's very, very low. I mean, even right now, I'd be like, it's a combination of, I think, on base percentage and slugging. But I don't have that. Uh, one, I do I'll this podcast. <laughs> but two, I still wouldn't have a sense I, when I see that number still, like Aaron Judge has, you know, it's over 1.0. I still have no sense of what that number means. In fairness, how many people on the street would know how to even calculate batting average necessarily? So but I think that's a separate yeah. issue from do I think hot takes have morphed in a way to have analytics permeated the casual yeah. fans' mind. Yeah, and, I, you know, we're essentially doing hot takes about hot takes. So, but, so I want to focus <laughs> in on something that Kate said just now about whether or not progress equals more statistics. Cause you, and I'm curious from both of you whether you've shifted on that in the last two and a half years as we've been talking. Because I think part of the joy of this podcast has been, you know, to get people from different backgrounds not that we have such a different background demographically but just like worldview wise kate you hadn't if i understand correctly you hadn't really fully been an, an analytics person really before you entered hot takedowns orbit is that a fair characterization i did moderate a panel at the mit sports sloan conference but i was way out of my league <laughs> and neil i think it's fair to say that like you hadn't been someone who talked to a ton of athletes and thought through the sort of meant the, the sort of not they hadn't thought through it, but like hadn't been immersed in what it meant to be on the court 
sort of thinking through my small decisions? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say to that because I did play, you know, in high school and, you know, it's not obviously not at Kate's level, clearly. It's not a competition. Uh, well. It actually uh, was. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that it is a lot. I, th- I think it's less uh, difficult of a learning curve to go in the direction of, you know, you played growing up uh, and you're really into sports and you find stats and, and you kind of kind of progress along that uh, path than it is to sort of have no st- or you know, not not take stats into your worldview and play the game and, you know, kind of have an understanding through it as playing at a high level and then kind of reverse back and have to sort of relearn certain things based on on stats but i'd be curious as to what your experience of that was kate well to chad's specific question whether i think more analytics and more numbers is better i always think more information is better and you can take it or leave it i have found that there's fewer stats or analytic points that to me tr- I can truly connect with than I anticipated. Mm. And I think part of that is because sometimes I don't know whether when it comes to analytics, I don't know what level of advancement we're at. And I feel like there are some things that we're saying is the right thing to do in baseball. Like, let's say, like, use your bullpen more that maybe going forward, there'll be some advancement and it'll be like, well, actually that was more detrimental than we thought. And so there's, very few there's pockets of numbers that I can see and think, oh, that really illuminates something for me. And oftentimes I feel like it's a it can be a stretch to try and name something and put a number on it when we don't quite know yet how to get at the problem. And maybe that's how progress is made. So, uh, where yeah, it's like, like with science. It's, it's like, like science. Yeah, I yeah, have the same better thought. science will fix bad science. Right. As opposed and, to no number. And science of like 30 years ago was groundbreaking in its day and now seems kind of hopelessly out of date if you, you know, read a book from back then. But that stepping stone was necessary to get us to where we are now. At least that's how I'd like to think that it's being done now. So quizzical I, chat. Yeah, I, I, I've got my quizzical face on. I think for me, I, I think I've actually come to the back a little bit towards the sort of athlete psychology side of things throughout this podcast, which is my interest in analytics started when I took a baseball sabermetrics course in college. There was like a visiting lecturer um, from, I think, BU, who was the first person who told me about the book Moneyball. And mm-hmm. I and I sort of tore through it. And I was like, wow, you know, this seems like an enlightened way to approach sports is thinking about it a little more critically and, and all about optimization and what was best. And ever since then, I've, or, and between then and taking it, my job at 538, I assumed that the analytics way was the right way, sort of by, by default, that because there was more empiricism, must have meant that it was correct. And I think since coming here and since starting this podcast in particular and talking to the two of you every week, it has tempered my enthusiasm a little bit for straight analytics, for just ignoring everything and saying and treating baseball players like they're sort of rolling a 20-sided die every time they're up at bat and like the probability that they're going to hit the baseball are just the roll of the dice, that there's nothing else going on that, that could affect it. And, and I think as we've talked, I think in the macro, macro, macro sense, 
that's still the case, right? Because baked into someone's 270 average is the fact that they do get inside their heads every now and that, you know, at least once a season and they go on a slump as a result. And so like, that's all sort of baked in, but as we try and analyze discrete events, and in our case, a week's worth of sports events, and usually, you know, we look back a little bit further than that, it, it has struck me that there are other things going on than just saying, oh, you know, Terry Collins should have should have pulled Matt Harvey in Game Five of the World Series in, in uh, twenty fifteen, which, which is, he should have, which is true. But uh, but th- there there's more at play in micro decisions yeah. than that. Well, what I think about when you're discussing the, the athlete psychology and all of to me, what you're saying is like all of the unknown that goes into in this case, let's say every single at bat when it comes to baseball. Like I picture some future, and I don't know if I even want this where. We've got a, a broadcast of a guy going up to bat, and you get like a, a percentage bar of everything he happens to be thinking at that moment, right? <laughs> because that's the unknown is, well, what's going on in their life outside of the game? What is their mental capability for focus in practice? Plus, at the plate, are they better in a crowded stadium? Are they better in a loud stadium? And you have this kind of bar that shows you all of that. As well as, you know, how they've, you know, done against that kind of pitcher and the traditional stuff. I mean, that's like a full, well-rounded mm-hmm. where we get to look at how the outcome is produced. And when, when I articulate it like that, some kind of Black Mirror episode, <laughs> you realize how much we don't know about everything that goes into a baseball at bat. And so you're kind of left speculating about the rest of it. But I think there's a lot that's also unknowable, like ever in in terms of we talk about luck a lot and the role of luck in sports i mean that's like one of the big talking you know points of the whole probably of the whole podcast when especially when we've done stat schools is that there's so much that is up to chance that we don't want to admit is up to chance and it's it's very easy you mentioned the the big macro picture it is easy you know when you're first coming into sabermetrics and uh, just you know studying stats and history through that lens and you're like oh you know this happened this year yeah the the rockets in 95 didn't have as anywhere near as good a point differential as the magic and that was a big upset in the finals in 95 and then the bulls won in 96 and go on and so forth and that's just like a line of data in in a book or in an excel sheet i guess later on uh, and then when you start to actually cover it in the moment instead of having everything uh, basically be history to you and you can kind of move around to whatever point you want at, at, at will, when you're kind of grounded in the moment and the Magic beat the Cavs in 2009, I remember that was the first playoffs that I covered as a professional you know, sports writer. And it was mind-blowing to me because it was a case of a heavy favorite losing and you know i had written about how little of a chance the magic had in in that particular series and there's no escape from the present when when you make some kind of, you know when you're doing analysis on something that's happening in the moment and you don't know how much of it was due to luck and how much of it was due to bad data or bad analysis or or you know any number of factors that could have gone in and that is the eternal kind of problem with doing the analytics in real time is you don't have you never have enough of a sample size and you never have enough knowledge of how you know 
how much you know, how much you could know if you, like you mentioned, Kate, if you had better technology or if you had better analytics of things and how much you would never know even if you had perfect information on what was knowable in the moment. And so th- the more that you cover sports like in real time instead of going back and crunching numbers on historical things, the more of an appreciation uh, you get for what you mentioned, Chad, which is just like the the fact that we don't know as much as we think we do and there are things that we don't know that we don't that that we don't it's like the unknown unknowns from donald rumsfeld i guess okay so with all that said what is it that you're going to take with you what's the what's the learning the little nugget of wisdom that the, that the show or not just the show we shouldn't be so navel gazy but just like the analytics worldview or the sort of the blend of the analytics with with the non-analytics um you know what what how does how is it informed you going yeah. forward Kate? okay so for me I remember clearly a discussion we had, I don't remember exactly when on this podcast, and it was coming off of a Grantland piece, about the fact that there was this backlash for analytics from a lot of athletes because analytics is a new way of telling the story of sports. And because it was opening this door of now storytelling in this new way, a lot of former players who felt like that was their job to be the kind of person who would illuminate for fans what it was like to play the game, why something happened. It felt like it was a kind of theft. And so for me, the takeaway from doing this podcast and from being more immersed in analytics is like it's a different way of storytelling. I don't know what storytelling in sports was necessarily like in the 20s, 30s, and 50s and and, and going forward, but it feels like We've let new people along the way be part of the storytelling, whether you're, you're saying, all right, now former athletes are in the booth and now former coaches are in the booth and now we're even going to let women be part of the storytelling discussion. To me, analytics is like another avenue to be able to storytell about sports. And for me, in terms of you know what I'm taking away from the podcast in general, I'll just talk about the fact that really having to engage with things that were unquantifiable, like we were talking about at the top of the show, social issues, uh, things that transcend these performance metrics and these kind of, you know, old favorite sabermetric kind of tropes. That was something that I never really had done much of before we started this podcast. And it really scared me to death. And I think that in the course of doing the podcast, it has kind of given me a lot more of an appreciation and also just, you know, humility about all the things in sports that we can't quantify. And also that this idea of sticking to sports is not really practical. And even if you are trying to kind of cover it through numbers and through sabermetric type things, there are more and more avenues now than ever where you're going to have to, the story is not in, contained within those lines and has so much more nuance than that and so much that can't be captured in the numbers and, you know, that you have to grapple with that uh, eventually. And that's yeah, kind of Yeah, it seems like I've a life lesson, away. too, just about the messiness of, of everything, that, that there isn't a sort of clear breakdown that you can – or clear clear way to make sense of the randomness and – and the complexities of everything that we encounter in our day-to-day, whether it be sports or otherwise. Can I offer my quick little takeaway? I was going takeaway? to ask you. Yes, please. So I have really come to the conclusion that I do not care about predictions, especially Even like your sports. prediction models that you guys have on 538? Yeah, no offense, Nate. Deeply don't care about it. 
every conversation that I remember from this podcast has not been about who might win the uh, Super Bowl or whatever else. It has been about trying to make sense of something that has already happened using an, a, an analytical worldview. And I think for me, the reason that I love sports and the reason that I sort of turn a game on, whether I care about it or not, is to see something unexpected happen. And so the prediction models help me understand just how unexpected it is. But in reality, I'm still going to turn the game on or not. And I'm still going to be wowed when a come-from-behind victory happens or not. It helps for me to say, wow, there was a 95% chance of that not happening. Um, And we talked about that with the Super Bowl last year, of course, when the Patriots came back against the Falcons and all sorts of conversation around win probability models and blah, blah, blah. But to me, what I think I've found is that the prediction stuff tempers my enjoyment of sports a little bit, whereas the post-facto analysis deepens my understanding and my enjoyment of sports. Yeah, and the prediction stuff, I think, is necessary because it kind of sets the stage and the context for a game. I mean, think about the way that broadcasters talk about games before uh, the opening tip or, or the coin flip or whatever. They do talk about it in terms of here's what we expect to happen. Here's what the conversation has been around, you know, the two teams. Here's who's favored, etc. Those are things that the prediction models kind of feed into, but then... When the game actually starts and all hell breaks loose, the joy of sports is the deviations from what you expected to see. And so you need both, right? You need the predictions, and then you need the predictions to not be too good (laughs) uh, because then what would be the point? So it's kind of um, they serve their purpose, but at the same time, their purpose is to be wrong a, a good amount of the time. Okay, let's leave it there, and I feel a little bad not having a final significant digit, but this take was so good, I didn't want to not have find a way to get it on. Well, it's one. The, Our, the significant digit is one. One yes. take? One take. Isn't this the way we usually like used to end the show, or maybe the way we open the show? Like You mentioned it, Kate. We used to have a hot take that we, we would engage with. This is sort of going back to yeah. our yeah. roots. Back. All right, good. I like that. I like that framing. Okay, so with all that preamble and with all that ado... Hot Takedown's final hot take from Don LaGreca, co-host of the Michael K. Show on ESPN Radio. Come on, stop it already. All right, everybody's coming up with these style. Oh, well, this offensive lineman, only 27% of the time was Eli pressured from his left side on Monday nights when Sean McDonough's the announced. Stop. Stop creating some narrative that you, everybody knows football better than somebody else. You want a stat? You want sabermetrics? Offensive line stinks. That's the stat. Give me a break. That's what we're going to do, Michael. We're going to be like accountants now in baseball. Uh, was it the Pythagorean theorem? The Pythagorean theorem said that the Red Giants offensive line, that their record should be one in one. When I talk Pythagorean theorem, I sound like that? No. Oh. The people that trust the oh. Pythagorean theorem. Okay. The people that listen to the Pythagorean theorem. The people that sit there at their desk that only know the naked body through National Geographic that do the math to come up with the Pythagorean theorem. That's what they sound like. It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. 40. 40 years. That's one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen. So take that with your Pythagorean theorem. There it is. Should we even say anything? (laughs) Any comments on National Geographic? Was that like a clever way to just assert the sort of nerd cliche? The sexlessness of the nerds. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Very clever. Super clever. I haven't heard that one before. No cliches involved. No. Yeah. All right. That is our uh, final hot take here on Hot Takedown. Kate Fagan, it's been such a freaking pleasure. 
It's been fun. Thanks for having me on this podcast. All these years. Well, it was well, an unusual marriage, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll find our way to a microphone again. I'm sure. Neil, thanks for talking about sports for all these years. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, and, Kate. Thanks, Neil. And of course, people can hear Neil on the new podcast, The Lab, coming up next week, along with two of our other colleagues. Lots of thanks on this show for the whole history of the show here at the end. Um, In the booth right now, it's our producer, Katie Ferguson, and Tony Chow, who gives us production assistance on the board every week. Before that, Jorge Estrada has been with us. Joe Sykes. Joe Sykes! was the producer. Still in Britain. I have a feeling still listening. What's up, Joe? Thank you to both Joe and Jorge. Martin Onebu has, of course... Been in the booth at times as well. All our interns over the years, we've oh, had wow. quite a few. Uh, I'm not going to name all of them because there are too many to name here in this uh, in this last gasp. Um, but thanks to everyone who's helped with the show. Jo- uh, Jody Avergan started the show. And then he went on to become a superstar. Superstar, ESPN 30 for 30 audio producer. I can only assume that's what's going to happen to you now, Chad. Yeah, you've got my, my career trajectory down. And um, then me. And then you, Neil. That's where... That's where it all heads. Um, but no, uh, Jody was instrumental in starting the show. Slate's Hang Up and Listen was sort of the original model of the show. So thanks to the the folks over there for sort of giving us some some inspiration in the early early days. Uh, I think we've deviated we did some, from it, but we also did some like pod tag teaming yeah. with them at various points. Uh, so thanks to all those folks. Uh, usually, this is when I tell you to leave a review or rating of the show on uh, iTunes. You have, I think, all of like six days, listeners, to go leave your reviews and ratings. Ooh, and Ryan Nantel. Ryan Nantel, of course, has helped as well at ESPN. Yeah, any other shout-outs you guys Just got? Just make sure we hit know? all the right people. Jonathan Yale helped with prep for a while there. Oh, yeah. Lots of, lots oh, of yeah. people. It takes a village to create a 538 podcast. Thanks to Slack for having a channel for us to <laughs> communicate on. Our theme song was by Mystery Mansion, an all-timer. I'm going to see if we can upload it or something to, to the website. For those who, who want it for their, their running playlists. Um, I'm telling you, remix it as the closing theme of the lab. All right. That's, that's, that's all I got for Kate Fagan and Neil Payne. Rather than say talk to you next time, uh, I think we all just want to thank you for listening over the last few years. So thanks for listening. <laughs>